Hey, deserving listeners, today I'm going to talk about something I've talked about before, but I want to talk about again because I get these questions all the time, and I feel like some of you may have missed the last time I talked about it. What I want to talk about today is, uh, you know, as a client, what sort of clinician should you be looking for? Um, what are the differences? Doctorate, master's, you know, social worker, marriage family therapist. Also, if you are a student and you want to become a clinician, um, what degree, what sort of program should you go to? What sort of things you, should you be looking for? Um, I get these questions all the time. I've answered, I've done episodes on this at least a couple times, but it's maybe been a long time and I feel like I want to get into, into it again. And someone recently asked me about it, so I thought I would talk about it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. All right, so let's get into it. But first, let me say that this episode is only for patrons of the podcast. So if you want to hear this full episode, you have to become a patron by going to patreon.com and becoming a patron of the podcast. When you become a patron, you get access to this full episode as well as hundreds of other patron-exclusive episodes. So go to patreon.com and become a patron of the podcast now. Do it, do it, do it. This first email is from patron Deb from Illinois. She writes, Would you consider dedicating an episode to the topic of the many types and levels of education and certification mental health professionals might have for both clients and for prospective psychology students who are evaluating programs? It can be hard to discern the differences. For instance, master's versus doctoral. What are the advantages and disadvantages of each? What are their scopes of practice, work opportunities, salaries, etc.? PsyD versus PhD or MSW versus LMFT versus LPC, LC, PC, or LMHC, etc. Who does what and in what settings do they overlap? What questions should clients ask to decide to work with a new therapist or not? What questions should students ask or what factors should they consider when they're considering a program? End of email. I've done a number of episodes about this, but I don't know, maybe it bears repeating. I tend to get this question a lot. So if you already know all the answers to these questions, then maybe skip forward about 15 minutes. So first disclaimer is um, this is going off of my experience, which is um, more than the average uh, professional, I would say, because um, I mean, but even though it's more than average experience, um I don't have experience in everything, and this isn't my expertise. You know, I haven't spent a year kind of cataloging all the differences, and there aren't really a lot of good resources out there that kind of lays it all out. It's it's a bit of an arcane process, and when you enter the field and you start working, you get a sense of it, but um, for people who are trying to figure out what degree they need, and particularly for clients trying to look for a therapist— uh, it's it's almost impossible for them to get the right information on the internet because um, I just did a quick you know Google search of the top hits of articles that related to this question and none of the information really answers the question you know if you've ever Googled that question you know should I go to a, a, a social work program or should I go to a counseling program the the question the answers that people are providing are either wrong or biased lots of bias. Or they're so brief that it doesn't really answer the question, you know. So, you know, um, let's 
think about that. But also, my disclaimer is um, some of you out there, many half of you listeners out there are clinicians as well. And it's likely I'm going to say something that doesn't emphasize something enough or might even be a little bit wrong. But I'm going to try to uh, account for that. There are things that I know are complicated. I'm, I'm going to try to, um, you know, talk a little bit. I'm going to try to provide information while also saying there are a lot of exceptions, if that makes any sense. Okay. So uh, let's get into it. So the, the first one I'll talk about is what we call counselors these days. Um, these are licensed professional counselors or licensed mental health counselors or uh, licensed clinical professional counselors or um, there's, I think, APCs as well. Generally, they're all basically the same. Uh, mental health counselors, professional counselors. For those of you who aren't therapists, it might be a little weird to hear this, that therapists are considered different than counselors. It didn't used to be this way when I first started out in the, in the field 25 years ago, but it is today, generally speaking. Although, you know, for me, for example, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, and I'm also trained to be a psychologist. Um, so I call myself a therapist, and more specifically, I call myself a psychotherapist. Uh, and But some people would call me a counselor, because what I'm doing is counseling, right? But in, in, in our field, we tend to refer to therapists as marriage and family therapists and counselors as mental health counselors, and social workers are social workers. But psychologists or psychologists, but the um, the phrases that we use to describe what is considered to be therapy and counseling, talk therapy, this kind of stuff, we tend to use the term psychotherapy. Now, I know in other countries, which is another caveat I should give, uh, the UK, Australia, uh, you all have completely different um, nomenclature and licensing, and it's a whole different system. You know, to, from what I understand, to be a psychologist in Britain is a totally different thing. Um, so that's another thing I should say. <laughs> what I'm talking about is the American system, which um, is extremely convoluted. And I'll say why it's convoluted because um, each profession emerges out of. Um, a discipline or a group of people who consider themselves to be a group. And then they lobby the state to license them. And when the state says, okay, we'll license you, they make their licensure requirements very specific to um, exclude other kinds of people. Um, like uh, to be a psychologist, you have to go to a, a very specific kind of program. Uh, so if you, if you've got, if you have a master's in counseling, like an MHC, a mental health counselors to masters, uh, uh, psychology programs tend not to acknowledge that education at all. Sometimes they'll let you transfer some credits, but generally speaking, they're like, well, you didn't, you didn't get education in the psychology school. So, you know, psychologist training school. And so therefore we're going to disregard everything, even though everything you learned was totally legit and should be acknowledged. But there's this siloing of the professions to, uh, frankly, it's just a matter of trying to um, garner power and resources, namely money, because if you let people transfer in from other professions with other degrees, then you lose a lot of money. Plus, there, there tends to be a more diffusion of professional identification, um, which is a whole other thing. Uh, you know, there, there are classes and programs that are designed to 
inculcate you into the culture, meaning that uh, you, like in, in my psychologist training program, there was a fair amount of effort, not only in classes, but also just in effort to uh, force us to identify as a psychologist, which I find to be abhorrent. Um, you know, you can educate me and you could tell me the rights and wrongs and the ethics and the research and stuff. And you can make requirements like tests and stuff, but you can't get inside my head in terms of my identity, <laughs> um, namely because I identify as a marriage and family therapist. And uh, that was actually counter to what was considered to be like proper training. And I just thought that was ridiculous. Like how, you know, how dare you get into my head? If, you know, if someone wants to identify as a psychologist, then great. But if, what if they don't want to? <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> this is a little side tangent there. But anyway, so there's a lot of different these names. So the first category I'm talking about are the, generally what we call counselors, even though some people would call me a counselor. And sometimes I'll call what I do counseling. So just know that. Um, so mental health counselors, professional counselors, these are people who have a master's degree, um, some sort of counseling master's. Uh, like at the, oh, So the other reason why I tend to know a lot about the different professions is because one, I have two, I'm in two different professions. I'm both in psychology and I'm in marriage and family therapy. I also have um, like a few toes in counseling and mental health counseling because in my program at Antioch University, we basically have a dual program where um, we train both marriage and family therapists and, and mental health counselors. And so a good number of my students, like I'm teaching a class this quarter in which half the students are, th are marriage and family therapists and half the students are mental health counselors. So I have to know their world. I work side by side with a lot of professors. You know, half of my colleagues work in the counseling department. So I tend to know a lot about them in that way as well. Um, I, I don't know as much about the social work world, so I'll just admit that. Uh, I know a lot about the psychologist world because I'm trained, um, and I know, you know, a fair amount about psychiatrists and, and psychiatric nurses as well because their, their jobs tend to be not as complicated and they're a little bit more visible, but anyway. So counselors, they have a master's degree, um, that is designed to meet the state requirements. And aside from California, uh, all the other states tend to have pretty uniform requirements for licensure of all the different professions. And so, you know, if you're in Arizona and you're going to a mental health counseling program, then that program in all likelihood, not always, is specifically designed to meet the licensure requirements of Arizona, which tend to be very similar to the licensing requirements in other states. In the future, uh, we're going to unif we're going to make all this uniform in all likelihood because it it's it makes it really complicated. You know, in the past, people didn't move around as much, and so there wasn't much of an issue. But now people move around all the time, so we need to start kind of making all the states the same when it comes to this sort of thing. But anyway, and the reason why California is well, I don't want to go into the reason why California is different, but California just has a different history regarding therapy and counseling, and so they have a kind of a quirkier system. But it it's not as different than the other states. People often ask me like. You know, if I go to Antioch and I decide to move, will my degree transfer to other states? And the the very short answer is, yeah. Uh, aside from often there's no there's nothing you have to do. But if there is something you have to do, it's usually pretty minor. Like you have to take another class or something is usually the case. Uh, but that can get kind of complicated. But anyway, so counselors, master's degree, counseling designed to meet licensure requirements of that state. 
they usually have postgrad. The, the state usually requires these folks to have postgrad experience that is supervised. It's usually about two years in Washington State. That's the way that it is. So we call this uh, in Washington anyway. We call it being having an associate license and then being uh, fully licensed is the phrase we use. So you are in graduate school. You're an intern and. That's your uh, your you have us in in Washington State. We call them agency affiliated counselors. I think we call them. That's your state designation. And then after you graduate, you have an associate license in counseling or therapy or social work. And you can practice in all the ways that everyone else can, but you can only practice if you have a direct supervisor who is essentially watching your every move. <laughs> um, and you need that supervised experience for about two years. And then after that point, you take a test um, and you can be, and you, if you meet all the requirements for licensure, then you become what you call fully licensed. And then from that point on, you don't need supervision anymore. And according to the state licensing, um, you're free to uh, practice on your own. Um, whether or not you keep a supervisor or not is up to you, um, depending on your work environment, which I'll get into later. But anyway... So these these people, mental health counselors, professional counselors, they can diagnose, they can treat, they can bill insurance, they can work in most settings, agencies, private practice. Um, their professional organization is the American Counseling Association, which is a pretty strong organization, pretty big. A, a lot of American clinicians are mental health counselors or licensed professional counselors. Um, there's a lot of them. And so... Um, the, the, there's a lot of training programs for them. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, just stuff like that. <laughs> um, these folks are often trained in the most popular forms of therapy, like CBT, Gestalt, Rogers, this kind of thing. Um, and in general, they tend to work with individuals. They're trained to work with groups, and certainly they can. But generally speaking, they, they work with individuals um, in private practice and at agencies. That's, that's usually what they're doing. They're providing, uh, you know, counseling services like um, depression, anxiety, uh, relationships, uh, I don't know, stuff like that, normal stuff. <laughs> and, but that is a wide variety of stuff, right? You know, if you work at a depression clinic, then all your clients are going to be depressed clients. If you work at a clinic that treats kids who have been sexually abused, then that's what you do there. If you work at an eating disorder clinic, then that's what you do there. If you work at a uh, in private practice and you tend to uh, attract people who are going through a divorce, then that's who you'll treat. So counselors have all that variety is the thing. Um, okay. Now. Counselors can become uh, specialized in working with families and couples as well. Uh, they just need extra education because their degrees typically didn't involve much of that. Bob, for example, he is a licensed mental health counselor, and he sought, uh, you know, about 10, 15 years into his career, he sought out education and um, supervision around becoming competent as a couple therapist, and now he's a couple therapist, even though he's not a he's not a licensed marriage and family therapist. But he had to seek out that extra education to get there, and that's and he you know he works with a lot of couples, and he's and he's competent and good at it. Okay, so that's those are counselors. The next category are therapists. This is what I am. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. You know, very much the same as a counselor. You need a master's, uh, you get an internship, then you need two years post-grad where you're um, uh, supervised, you take a test, 
you become fully licensed, you can diagnose, you can treat, you can work in almost all the exact same settings as a counselor, agencies, private practice. Um, you know, uh, I, as a marriage and family therapist, have worked alongside uh, counselors, social workers in the same agencies. You know, it's not a lot of there's a there's a shit ton of over- overlap. Um, the training tends to be this the same. The you know the training t- tends to be the same amount of money and effort. Um, the licensing requirements are pretty much the same. The pay is almost identical in terms of averages. But that average is just an average. You know, for both people, there's a wide variety of salaries. You know, like. For master's level folks, um, right out of graduation in Seattle, you you know you can earn as low as like forty thousand a year or something, which isn't great, right? Um, or in you could go right into private practice, and if you're good at marketing, you could earn two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars a year in private practice. So, you know, the same trained person with the same skills. Could earn anywhere from forty thousand to three hundred thousand after a couple years of working, after a couple years of uh, after graduation. You know, within a couple years of graduation. And so, private practice is where most of the money is, um, because our legislatures and our um, and the you know the public, the voting public, doesn't allocate funds for um, you know uh, mental health services. So it's it's on people to basically pay for their own mental health services or to have very good insurance that pays for it. And so only essentially middle-class, upper-class people can um, afford private practice people. I'll go into that later, but anyway. Um, But there's there's plenty of low-income people who are on, uh, you know, Medicare and Medicaid who go to agencies and are, you know, they get good services there too. So anyway, <laughs> um, but the differences between marriage family therapists and professional counselors is different professional organization, uh, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. They're usually trained in slightly different models, uh, slightly different treatment models, like family therapists are always trained in family systems models, you know, structural, strategic, narrative, solution-focused um, attachment-based therapies, this kind of thing. They, they tend to have more experience and education around working with kids and families and couples, which makes sense, right? Um, and they tend to work with individuals, couples, and families. But it really just depends on what you want to do. I have supervisees who, upon graduation, they don't want to work with kids ever again. So they only work with adults and, and, and couples. There are other people that I've trained who never want to work with couples because they just don't like working with couples. There are other people that I've trained who don't want to work with adults and they just want to work with infants and their parents. There are other people that want to work with everyone. That was me. I wanted to work with kids. I wanted to work with teens. I wanted to work with adults. I wanted to work with individuals and groups and families and couples. I wanted to do it all and I did in the beginning of my career. Now I only work with individual adults and couples, which is pretty typical for private practice because there's a lot of people who want therapy um, as adults and there are a lot of couples that want therapy in my area anyway. And so um, there's just a lot of work for that. Families tend to come in for briefer periods of time and so it's harder to kind of sustain a practice around um, just families, although one can do it. 
there's a lot of need for people to work with infants and younger children because most therapists don't really want to do that kind of work. And so um, for those folks who are interested in it, they typically have very full, you know, uh, schedules. Uh, but the demand for it is a little lower because people just don't think to do it, you know. Anyway, again, it again, depends on your area and depends on the sort of circle you run in. All right. So the third profession are licensed clinical social workers, same as the counselors and the therapists, master's degree. Um, I assume they have some kind of postgrad requirements. They become fully licensed. They can diagnose. They can treat. They can work in most settings, agencies, private practice. Um, but generally speaking, they get more training in working it with teams of people, uh, more more training in doing kind of casework, non-clinical casework, um, working in hospitals, coordination of services, um, you know, helping connect people with services, you know, case management is what we typically call it. And because they get that, they get much more training in that than counselors and therapists, some sacrifice has to be made. Otherwise, they'll be in, you know, in school for 10 years. And so they cut back on the, on the clinical training. So social workers, not all the time, but they generally have less training in how to be a counselor, how to, how to provide psychotherapy. Um, I recently had a guest on the podcast who is a licensed social worker, and she said that in her program, they didn't have any classes on ethics that were required. So that just kind of gives you an idea. For uh, counselors and therapists, to be licensed, you have to have taken a, a fair amount of ethics courses. Um, you know, ethics meaning like what is it, how to provide ethical services. Whereas social workers, um, uh, the programs are, are less focused on that because um, there, aren't as, there aren't as many strict ethical codes are really even necessarily a concern when you're doing case management because it's there's there's fewer dilemmas in that kind of work. And so um, they have a different professional organization. Um, now, having said that, uh, some social work, it, the fact that social workers have in general less training to be to do psychotherapy, that doesn't mean that they aren't as good. They can be just as good. My therapist that I had for many years, uh, I've had a you know a few different therapists, but one of them was a social worker, and she was great. So, um, uh, so there's that. Social workers tend to work with individuals and and with teams. You know, individuals, teenagers, and also with teams. You know, they'll they'll be a part of a treatment team. So, social workers are much more likely to be part of a team than otherwise, but. Marriage and family therapists, mental health counselors can also be part of a team. So I hope you're already getting the idea like there's a shit ton of overlap and it's hard to generalize because once you graduate, you can find yourself in all sorts of different jobs. It just depends on what the employer decides to do. And it also it depends on um, who applies for the job and that kind of thing. Anyway, now some people say that social workers have much more flexibility um, because of that reason, because they're trained to do more things, which is sort of true, depending. But as I was saying earlier, you might be trading breadth um, for depth, you know, meaning that you you are training a lot of things in a shallow way instead of learning one thing really um, deeply. So just be aware of that. But again, it depends on the program. <laughs> you know, there are social work programs out there that are very good at teaching you how to become a therapist. So 
it's such a weird world we live in. <laughs> in some areas, social workers are the only master's level people who can bill Medicare in certain settings like private practice. Um, this is where I'm getting a little outside my expertise, but um, from what I understand, <clears throat> in some areas, uh, social workers are, um, you know, they have a they have a pretty old good lobby, meaning a political lobby that will lobby the state to allocate them as being able to bill for Medicare and Medicaid and this kind of thing. And so, um, if that matters to you, then you know, in some areas it matters. Um, and some it doesn't. Like in Seattle, most people in private practice that I know of, they don't even take insurance. So, uh, and they would never take Medicare or Medicaid because those are the worst to to accept. Um, so, um, uh, but in some areas, you can't have a private practice unless, like I, I knew someone in Virginia in um, <clears throat> uh, somewhere out there, so I can't remember the city, but in uh and in that town the private practice therapist said all of her clients were medicaid medicare and i was so surprised by that i was like wow you're in private practice and <clears throat> and so the reimbursement can be good sometimes it can be bad just depends anyway that's getting into the weeds a little bit okay so the fourth profession here we talk about is psychologists usually they will get a doctorate that is geared to train for licensure in that state um, it can be a PsyD, meaning a psychology doctorate. That's what I have. Or it can be a PhD in psychology. Um, differences depend on the program. A lot of people ask me this question. Should I get a PsyD or a PhD? Depends on what you want to do. Depends on the program. Generally speaking, PsyDs are uh, geared towards training you to become a standard psychologist after graduation, meaning you provide therapy, you can do assessments, and you could do research if if you chose to, um, but the main thing is assessments and clinical and treating people. Uh, PhDs also could be those sort of people, but they they could all, but they might not. They PhDs might just be research oriented programs and not clinical. So you have to ask the program, and this doesn't help people because sometimes the the degree can be called the same thing. You know, a PhD in psychology, well. Uh, that can mean a lot of things. Now, there are certain tag words like clinical, usually means the clinical side, but anyway. So, again, they're the same as, as psychologists. They're the same as so, psychologists are the same as social workers or counselors and therapists in that they can diagnose, they can treat, they can work in most settings like agencies and private practice, and they often do work side by side. But the differences are different professional organization. The American Psychological Association is a very robust um, you know, a respected organization. Uh, but really, I, th I believe anyone can join the American Psychological Association, even if you're not a psychologist. But anyway, um, the big differences between psychologists and the master's level people is that they get much more training and assessment. Uh, psychologists are the, the sort of top profession in some circles, the only profession when it comes to providing all types of assessments. Assessments are you know, full battery assessments to determine if someone has ADHD or full battery of assessments to see if someone is, um, uh, you know, if someone is uh, sane at the time of the crime or if someone is um, capable of, of uh, standing trial for their own, you know, uh, crime, for learning disabilities in a school, <clears throat> for parenting assessments, work assessments, et cetera. So psychologists are, 
fully trained on how to provide these um, detailed assessments to use the tools to understand the the statistics to write the reports and all that kind of stuff. Other professions either have no training or experience or very little. There are some exceptions. There are some master's level folks who are trained and capable and ethically competent to provide uh, pretty detailed assessments. Um, So it just depends. But psychologists are, from my understanding, all trained to do that very detailed assessment work. To be clear, this is not treatment, right? So assessments are different from treatment. You're, if, if I'm hired, if someone hires me to do a full ADHD battery, then by ethics, I can't treat them because if I'm going to be an unbiased assessor, I have to, um, I have to stay un, as unbiased as possible, which means I can't provide treatment. Having said that, um, if you are treating someone you can initiate testing to, um, you know, but you always have to uh, write the reports with that in mind. Like I am the treating psychologist and therefore I might be a little biased, and, but here are my findings. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah. Now, a little bit about the profession of assessing, as I've talked about in other podcasts. Um, I found it to be very tedious and boring. Uh, other people love it. So um, just know that <laughs> it, it, it seems exciting when you when I it seemed exciting to me when I first learned about it, but when I but when I actually did it for you know years, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it feels like homework to me, and it also didn't really fall in line with my overall goal of trying to make the world a better place. Because sometimes I was doing assessments for things and for organizations that weren't necessarily looking out for the best interests of the client. So, um, but not always, obviously, and it's it's a wide variety. And if you get good at assessments, you can actually earn a lot of money per hour, but it's not very, um, you know, to provide, to provide therapy, people show up at my office, you know, after a certain point of competence, there's not a lot of extra work and stress. People show up to my office, you know, I provide therapy for an hour and it can be very involved and very deep and very complicated. But once the hour is over, then it's over and, you know, I'm moving on with my life. When it comes to assessments, it can it can kind of you know kind of hang over your head like oh shit I got to write that report and you know da 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 and so assessments is it's it's just a different has a different feel to it. Um, also, uh, psychologists have much more training in research. Uh, you know, your dissertation often often involves a research study, so um, you're trained in research a lot more. Having said that. All of the other professions I just talked about, counseling, therapy, and social work, they all have corresponding uh, doctorate degrees. So like in marriage and family therapy, if you got a doctorate degree in marriage and family therapy after your master's, then you would be trained fully in research as well. You'd also get trained in supervision and teaching. So, um, so all the professions at the doctoral level all have been given the opportunity to learn research. So, uh, so sometimes when I'm talking with people, I will say, um, you know, do you, are you sure you have to be very, when, when, if you enter your, a psychology profession, you have to be very sure that you want all of it. Whereas if you aren't quite so sure, but you're, but you're definitely sure you want to become a, a, a clinical person where you treat people, then it's better to choose the master's, one of the master's degrees, a counselor, social work, or marriage or family therapist, 
And then later you can decide to go back to a doctorate because the doctoral programs will honor your master's, if that makes any sense. It's just like you can sort of stop halfway through and make a choice if you want to move on to the next level. A lot of times you don't need that next level is the thing. Um, so the only reason why you would, you would enter psychology is if you kn- knew that you wanted to do all those things and you wanted to do assessments. Because even the other professions, uh, if you get a doctorate in counseling or marriage or family therapy or social work, um, those typically don't involve education of assessments. You know, psych- if you want to do assessments, then psychology is the way to go. But if you want to do research, any other professions will work. Um, if you want to be a teacher, any of the professions will work. If you want to be a supervisor, any of the professions will, will work, particularly the doctoral level. Um, but you can supervise and teach at, with a master's. Uh, I, for example, um, for t- uh, 10 years of my career, I was a supervisor and a professor at a university, and I had a master's. So, um, so there's that. <laughs> um, also, psychologists... Some psychologists never do clinical work. Uh, some psychologists, you know, they only do research or they only do assessments or they only do teaching. Like, um, I don't know if any of you have heard the episodes that I did a while back on pharmacology. And I had a colleague of mine, Dr. Grubbs, on the podcast. He's a, clini- he's a psychologist, a licensed psychologist. I don't know if he's licensed, but he's, he's a psychologist. And well, so in order to be called a psychologist, you have to be licensed. So he must be a licensed psychologist. Anyway, all he does is teach uh, drugs, teach about you know Prozac and lithium and all that kind of stuff. And he teaches uh, uh, mo- most of his students are actually psychiatry students. So he's a he's a psychologist who never did a session of therapy with anyone, and he focused on pharmacology and he does a lot of research and teaching in that area. So psychologists sometimes aren't therapists, whereas uh, marriage and family therapists and counselors, in order to graduate, you have to have had an internship in which you provided services. And in all likelihood, after graduation, that's what you're going to do. Social workers, again, uh, could go go either way. Your internship could be, from what I understand, I could be a little bit wrong on this, but your internship could have been at a hospital where you didn't really provide much in the way of diagnosing and, um, or maybe diagnosing, but not a lot of clinical services where you say, saw someone in an office every week for an hour, uh, providing therapy, but many social workers do psychologists. Um, most of many of them are, uh, interested and trained and do internships with clinical work, but, but some don't. So it's just another thing to think about. Also, what I'll say is all the professions I've talked about so far, counselors, social workers, therapists, psychologists, sometimes there's, a, there's these weird jobs that all four professions will find themselves in, in business, in marketing, in the military. Um, you know, there's a lot of weird gigs out there for people, um, you know, as some sort of school-based adventure therapy person or something. You know, there's, there's very... Um, like for me, for example, for many years, I was contracted by a local school district to be part of this camp that the students would go to. Uh, and I would oversee the sex education. I would oversee the um, education about how to reduce stress and how to improve relationships at school and about drug and alcohol prevention 
and about uh, emotional support. So I wasn't providing any clinical services for this district, but I was overseeing the education of it. So I didn't even have to educate the kids. I oversaw the people who provided the education. So it was kind of a weird gig. Um, it paid a lot for not that much effort. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> so um, I don't do it anymore, but uh, because they actually stopped the camp at some point. And now they do something else. The camp was really great, by the way. Um, so sometimes, you know, you'll find yourself in these really kind of odd jobs and all the professions uh, are qualified and can do those kinds of jobs. And, you know, people ask like, well, which degree do I do to get those kinds of gigs? And it's just like, it depends on the people offering the gig. You know, the the district, the, the, the how I got the job was a friend of mine was in charge of the camp. <laughs> uh, she was a teacher, or is a teacher. And she was a teacher at that school, and she was in charge of the camp. And the person who did it previously had quit or something. And so she was kind of scrambling looking for someone else to do it. And she knew me and she's like, do you want to do it? So, you know, that I, to the people who are like, well, what, you know, I'm, I want to go into the, the profession, which program do I choose? Which degree? It's just like, it doesn't, it's hard to know. Um, and there's a, there's so much overlap and it depends on who, you know, you could get a sweet gig because they need a social worker and they, they prove, you know, for whatever reason, this one organization loves social workers or this other, you know, person who's hiring only knows about marriage and family therapists. You know, it's, it's that kind of a field, you know, it's weird. Anyway, the last category of professional is the psychiatrists and I'm, I'll lump in psychiatric nurses in there as well. These people have medical degrees, um, meaning they, you know, went to pre-med and med school and, you know, they have, it's, you know, they had to learn about biology and chemistry and, you know, where the bones go where and all that kind of stuff. And so these are, it's a completely different field. It's the, it's a medical profession. Um, they can diagnose just like all the rest. They can treat with psychotherapy depending. So some psychiatrists will be trained very well in psychotherapy and some uh, psychiatrists, psychiatric nurses will have very little in the way of education and training and supervision regarding how to provide talk therapy. They can all prescribe meds, though. They will all have uh, robust training around medications and monitoring meds and all that kind of stuff. And that's the main difference between the medical degrees and the other people. Um, some of these people can be excellent therapists, and many are not excellent therapists. Some of them know that they're not good therapists and they don't even try. Some do not know they are, they are not good at it, and yet they try anyway. And I guess that could be true about any of the professions. These people can work in private practice, but they're usually at a larger organization in, in my circle, like a clinic or a hospital. They can be involved in research. They can lead research. They can teach. They can supervise, depending on the situation. And... Um, Overall, on average, in my circle, they tend to be mostly involved in prescribing meds and monitoring the meds. They don't tend to get involved in a lot of talk therapy. Part of the reason, from what I understand, is that monitoring meds is much more lucrative, makes much more money per hour for the uh, clinician than if they were to provide talk therapy. Um, so there's that. Plus, uh, another reason is there's such a 
demand for people to um, give meds and to monitor meds that a lot of psychiatrists get filled up with those kinds of people. Whereas there's, there's, in, well, there's a high demand for, for meds and, uh, you know, a good proper psychiatrist and psychiatric nurse. There's a lot of demand with, without a lot of supply for whatever reason. When it comes to therapy, the demand for it is even higher, way higher, but the uh, supply is very high. You know, there's a lot of therapists out there who um, have open spots. And so, um, so you know, for the psychiatrists, uh, sometimes as a community, we really need them to fill up their uh, docket with med management because if they don't do it, there's no one else to be able to do it. Trying to find a psychiatrist in Seattle and other areas is actually really, really hard. Trying to find a good therapist is really hard for that matter. I mean, um, you can call around, uh, you know, you go on the, the big place to go to find a therapist is on psychology today for whatever reason. They sort of got the jump on that years ago. But you will call 10 therapists and they'll and only two of them will call you back and they'll both say that they're full <laughs> or they don't take your insurance or something. And so um, so it's hard. But with psychiatrists, it's even worse, if you can believe it. And that's a problem. We have a big problem in our society around that. But anyway, that's not the purpose of this episode. Okay. So again, we had the counselors, we had the therapists, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, psychiatric nurses. What about all these other people? Okay. We got art therapists, sex therapists, play therapists, couple therapists, dance movement therapists, drama therapists, infant specialists, ADHD specialists, family preservation services people, eating disorder people, polyamorous and kink people. We have yoga therapists. There's even marijuana therapy specialists. I have a colleague who um, he's a, a art therapist and a and a counselor, and he has a marijuana farm in Washington State, and he does retreats where he will combine therapy and wellness and marijuana in a, in a weekend or something. So you got marijuana therapy, you have uh, chemical dependency professionals, CDPs. I think they might be starting to call them something different now. Um, you have coaches, right? So what are we talking about? Well, coaches I'm going to leave out for now because um, coaches can mean – to be a coach, it can mean a lot of different things. It can mean you're a 16-year-old dropout who just calls yourself a coach, or it can mean that you're a very professionalized um, provider of services who – is um, up to date on research and knows your ethical codes and um, stays in your lane, but also provides a very good service for people. So the word, so that in the future coaches will become more formalized and we'll have yet another, you know, mental health profession, which will annoy um, me anyway, because it's just like, why don't we just subsume coaches into the counseling, you know, profession or so? I don't know. It's just this weird thing around marketing and what the, you know, because there's a lot of people in the public who's just like, I don't want a therapist, but a coach, that sounds nice, you know? And it's like, you know, why don't we just spend time actually reducing stigma about our services instead of changing, you know, our language and, you know, acting like we're not actually providing a clinical service? Anyway, <clears throat> I'm just a little cranky about that. But, uh, but all the other things are things that all of the people above can become. So as a counselor, as a therapist, I, I believe as a social worker, I assume as a social worker, as a psychologist, you can become an art therapist. 
So you, you could be a psychologist and a certified art therapist. You could be a marriage and family therapist and a certified art therapist. Any of these people can become certified sex therapists. You could become certified play therapists. You could all become competent in couple therapy, dance movement, drama therapy. You know, all the, these other things are, are just add-ons, if you will, to the license. You have to be licensed in one of those six professions that I said earlier. And then you can have extra things beyond that. So in order to, in order to practice at an agency, in order to provide treatment, um, especially unsupervised, you have to be a mental health counselor, licensed professional counselor, or one of the counselor professions, a marriage and family therapist, a clinical social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychiatric nurse. Um, so, yeah. So in summary, um, all the professions can be excellent therapists. So if you're a client looking for a therapist, you could look to any of those professions and find a good one. But only some of them are solely and fully trained for therapy, and those are counselors and therapists and most psychologists, but not all psychologists. <laughs> but definitely mental health counselors, professional counselors, and, and marriage and family therapists, they are only trained to provide clinical service, um, and they are fully trained to provide clinical service. So, and, and I would say the vast majority of psychologists are also uh, you know, fully trained to become a psychotherapist, but not all of them. <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, uh, but all the professions could be excellent. So it kind of depends. It's case by case basis. All of them can diagnose. All of them can and do work at agencies and hospitals and private practice. All of them are reimbursed pretty much the same by insurance companies although there are some minor exceptions by state depending on Medicaid, this kind of thing. Uh, but for the most part, you know, they all get paid the same by insurance. If you have a doctorate, if, you, if you're a psychologist, you can pay a little bit more than a marriage family therapist, but it's not that much more. Most of the people in my circle don't even take insurance, and so it's just up to them to make their own uh, fee schedule. So you'll find a psychologist who charges $100 an hour. Whereas you'll see a marriage and family therapist who charges $300 an hour. And it's just a matter of like how much demand that person is getting and how, you know, how much marketing do they do and how, what's their word of mouth, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah. All right. So getting to your questions, you asked, um, you know, masters or doctoral, you know, if you're going to, if you're someone um, looking for a program. You know, what are the advantages and disadvantages between getting a master's and getting a doctorate? What are their scopes of practice, work opportunities, salaries, et cetera? So I hope I answered that question, <laughs> that it's complicated, depends on the profession, depends on what your goal is, depends on your marketing, depends on, you know, where you go five, ten years after your career. In general, the only difference between doctorates um, uh, and master's is that doctorates basically indicate that you had additional education beyond psychotherapy. Um, usually research, but sometimes assessment if you're a psychologist, and sometimes supervision and teaching if you were in the social work, marriage and family therapy, and counseling professions. Um, but if you're looking for a therapist, then it shouldn't matter to you if the person has a master's or a doctorate because there isn't any um, there isn't any difference there. You know, sometimes, well, if you have a doctorate, you must know more. No. Uh, if you have a doctorate, 
usually the vast majority, depending, but for the vast majority, your doctorate, your extra work to get a doctorate didn't have anything to do with providing services. Um, Now, your doctorate could have had everything to do with that. You know, if you focused on, like for me, when I got my psychology doctorate, my dissertation was on essentially countertransference. And so that enhances my understanding of how to be a therapist. And so, um, but that was me. I chose to do that. Uh, Many other people chose a lot of other things. I had a classmate who chose to study placebo. I had another classmate who decided to study um, how music affects the the self or something like that. Um, I had another person who uh, did... What else did other people do? You know, uh, video games. So there's just a lot of different things that people will do with their doctorates. Um, Anyway, so your next question is PsyD versus PhD or MSW versus LMFT versus LPC, MHC. You know, who does what and in what settings? So again, as I hope you understand, they all pretty much overlap, but it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about psychotherapy, generally speaking, they're all the same in terms of the opportunity to learn how to be a good one. But if we're talking about assessment or research, then it, you know, it sort of matters. Um, for example, I used to work in a chemical dependency clinic, and I was trained as a psychologist and as a marriage and family therapist. And both of my skills were needed. My psychology skills were needed because I provided assessments. And my marriage and family therapy skills were needed because they needed to do family therapy and couple therapy. And uh, I, in both instances, my marriage and family therapy and as a psychologist, <clears throat> I was trained to do individual therapy. I was trained to do uh, supervision and group therapy. So I would provide group therapy. I would also sit in on the um, chemical dependency group uh, you know, meetings. We also had chemical dependency professionals, CDPs. These people did assessments, group therapy, and they would supervise trainees, you know, CDPTs. Uh, the counselors, the mental health counselors, we had them at the agency, and they did individual therapy and group therapy, and they provided supervision. We had psychiatrists and psychiatric nurses that did assessments, meds, and consultation. So we all worked at the same agency, um, many of us doing the same sorts of things, some of us doing different things. Um, we also had um, a marriage and family therapist who was the president of the organization. So, you know, normally you wouldn't be like, well, I want to get a master's in marriage and family therapy because I want to be in charge of an agency. But many people who are in charge of agencies are trained clinicians, um, for better or for worse. But um, so, uh, you know, his his degree in marriage and family therapy and his uh, training as a chemical dependency professional uh, allowed him to rise in the ranks to become essentially the president of the agency. So that's another job that's available to pretty much all the professions. Going on with your other questions here, what questions should clients ask to decide to work with a new therapist? Um, so the thing, the main thing to focus on is what's your goal? And a lot of people are like, well, I don't really know what my goals are. Well, figure it out because you have to go to therapy for a reason. Now, it can be very specific, like I want to quit smoking or I want to be less depressed or I want to, um, you know, I don't know, fix my marriage. So those are very specific things, but it could be very broad, like I want to explore my childhood or I want to, I, I, just, I need someone to talk to because I feel like I have a lot of things on my mind and 
no one is really listening that well in my life. So those are all goals. You know, some of, you know, I want to raise my self-esteem. I want to reevaluate my life. Okay. Those are goals. They're, they're very, very broad, un, you know, kind of squishy goals, but they are goals and you have to have a goal. You have to be, it could be very broad. It'd be very specific. It could be a set of goals. Write them down as a client. This is what I want. Then you want to, now that might change after the first session, you might have whole new goals, but you need to, you need to know what you're doing. Don't show up to therapy and be like, okay, I don't know why I'm here. You know, it's, it's, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of our time as clinicians. It drives me nuts. It's just like, why are you here? <laughs> like, did, did you, did you think at all about like what, what you wanted out of this? Is there anything that you want? I don't know. You're the doctor. You tell me. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Anyway, so know what you want. Now, maybe you don't know what you want. Maybe your goal is to figure out what you want. That's a fine goal too. I want to go to therapy to figure out what I want out of therapy. Fine. State that, you know, like write it down. Um, then you want to, if you can, you want to consult with someone who can advise you on what sort of things you should look for in a clinician that will help you meet those goals. You know, maybe you, maybe you're worried about your memory. You, you know, your memory has been slipping lately, and you're like, I want to, I want someone to help me with that. Well, you might not know who to go to. Well, I would, if you asked me, I'd say, well, go to a psychologist because they're the best that, and, a, and a neuro uh, specialist. Um, they're going to be the people who are going to have the expertise on how to evaluate memory. Um, you aren't necessarily going to know that, and the internet isn't going to tell you in all likelihood. Uh, it might, but it probably won't. Your insurance company might tell you, depending. Um, your primary doc might know, but might not. So try to find someone who might know the answer to the question. You might have to consult with a few people. You're free to ask me. Um, and I apologize that you even need to do this because there should be a service. And sometimes there are services at, you know, at hospitals or insurance companies that can help direct you to the right professional, but, um, sometimes not. Um, once you're directed to the right person to, or to a set of people, ask that professional, that clinician, how they can help you meet the goal that you have. So you want to explore your childhood. Well, you go, you get a referral to someone. Someone says, oh, this sort of therapist is what you need. You, you want a therapist who does psychodynamic work, or you want a therapist who s says that um, they do exploratory work. Okay, so you call this person up. You get the therapist on the phone. Tell them your goal. I want someone to help me explore my past. And then you ask them, how can you help me with that? Don't be afraid, you know, because... You don't want to bark up the wrong trees here. So ask them, you know, how would you help me with that? And you're like, if they give you a satisfactory answer, then you want to move on to the next step. If not, then not. You want to meet with them for a few times, and then you want to make your decision after that point. After a few sessions, you'll get a good idea as to whether or not it's worth your time. At that point, you want to say yes or no. It's a pain in the ass. It's a long, drawn-out process. But, man, when you find the right therapist, as I know a lot of you know out there, it is a godsend, so it's worth the process. Um, what questions should students ask and what factors should they consider when they're considering a program? So these are people wanting to become a clinician. You know, How do they decide on a program? Um, again, you want to focus on what is your goal. I can't tell you how many times I have talked to someone who they, they know they want to enter the psychology field in some way, shape, or form, and they're like, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about going to this one program and I'm like, okay, um, well, what do you want to do after graduation? And they'll be like, huh, I don't know. 
I'll be a, huh? <laughs> like, uh, you don't know? Like, well, you know, I, I heard like this and that. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Don't, you know, pull your application <laughs> because you are about to embark on, you know, something that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds, uh, years and years of your time, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, you better be fucking sure what you're getting into and why, you know? So the first thing you, sh- you need to know uh, for yourself is what specific job or set of jobs or array of jobs am, am I uh, contemplating working after graduation? Why in the hell am I getting this degree and for what purpose? You know, we have this culture of like, well, just stay in school or education's good. It's like, okay, yes, but education is a means to an end. For, for most people, not always, you know, some people are recreational students or something wrong with that. But if you're going to, most people are like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this degree because I want to, I want to have a career. Well, figure out what career you want first. Now, maybe you, you're thinking of five different things. You think you want to be a therapist. You want to be a researcher. You want to be a supervisor. You want to, you know, you want to do assessments, you know, you want to do it all. Okay, that's fine. But write it down. The next thing you need to do is you need to actually talk to people who do that job. Do not invent in your brain what that job is like because you probably don't know what it's actually like, particularly when it comes to assessment and and research. Um, Actually talk to at least three people, if not 10 people, who are actually right now doing that job. Talk to them. What's it like? What's a typical day like? How much... How much is it? How much did you get? How much do you get paid? You know, what's your future pay looking going to look like? How stressful is it? Um, You know, get a really maybe you could shadow them, hopefully. Now, if they're doing clinical work, it's going to be hard. But if they're doing research and assessments, maybe. But um, shadow them, you know, watch them. Then you want to if once you figure out exactly what kind of job you want to do, then you want to ask those people, how did you get there? What did you have to do to get there? Because they're going to be the best people to tell you. Now, you talk to more than one person, okay? Because one person might have a weird kind of path because there's a lot of weird paths. I didn't even talk about like doctorate in psychology education. There's like a whole kind of, you you can become a, you you used to become able to become a psychologist, maybe still if you get a doctorate in education, which is bizarre. But anyway, (laughs) Um, so uh, ask them, you know, how did you get there and how, and then start figuring out how you're going to get there. You know, because again, people ask me, do I get a doctor or do I get a master's? And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, I don't know. Well, you are asking the wrong question. <laughs> uh, doctorate or master's, uh, the main question is, what do you want to do? And how do people get to that job? Okay. The other thing is, is do not trust universities to tell you the right answers because a lot of these universities, particularly the for-profit ones, are incentivized to lie to you. So be very careful, particularly what's on the website. But even if you're talking to real people, be very careful because they could be like, we're fully accredited and and da-da-da. And then you, you're halfway through the program and you realize that that program is not set up to um, provide you with the education that will get you to where you want to go career-wise. Um, that adds another whole other layer of complication. Um, also, don't just get a doctorate because you think you're a doctorate sort of person. You know, there are a lot of people who are just like, 
you know, I'm a doctorate sort of person. I'm not a master's. I'm a I'm a go getter. I'm a I'm a I'm a top. You know, I'm a dominant. I'm a smarty or something. And um, there's a big difference between doctorates and masters when it comes to money and time. Um, if if you need a doctorate to get you to where you want to go, then you have to get a doctorate. But if you don't need a doctorate, why in the hell? It's three times the money. Instead of $50,000 for a master's, it's $150,000 for a doctorate or more, depending on like how much you need for rent. You could go into debt. You could go, you could, you could get a doctorate and easily be in debt a quarter of a million dollars easily. It's also to get a doctorate three times the time and effort. Instead of two or three years, it's now six, seven, eight years. I know people who were classmates of mine um, who uh, didn't graduate until 10 years after they started because there's internships that get a little wonky. Your dissertation can take a shit ton of time. Um, yeah. So imagine that 10 years. It's not, it's not, you know, not unusual. In fact, I have a colleague who is what we call ABD all but dissertation. She started her doctorate, uh, I guess like nine years ago or something. And I don't think she's ever going to finish. <laughs> um, so how much of a bummer is that, that you have to pay for all that money? Um, again, now, if you want to if you want to become a psychologist, then that job and sort of profession and area appeals to you. Then you know going because the thing to become a psychologist is usually you go straight through from your bachelor's. You you, you apply with a bachelor's and you you get the master's and a doctorate all in one fell swoop. Um, in the other professions, social work, mass, uh, you know, marriage, family therapists, and counselors. You do usually you do the masters and the doctorate separately, so uh, there's a lot of flexibility in 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 that way because you can go okay I'll get my masters, you know I'll try out what it's like to be a therapist. If that isn't enough for me and I want to go back to school to do this and that, then I can do that. The only exception is again if you want to do assessments, then you need to generally choose psychologist. Um, the other thing to watch out for that I get a lot of is people who are interested in doing research. They'll say. You know, I'm interested in doing research. I've talked about this before. <laughs> it bears repeating in this context. Be very careful because you probably have a romanticized view of what it's like to do research. In a nutshell, and there are exceptions, but in a nutshell, doing research, it's hard to get jobs. And sometimes there aren't even real jobs. It's just you get funding, which is hard to get. It's hard to do research in your preferred area. Like you might have to do research in you know, someone's area that you're not fully jazzed about. The The research can be extremely tedious, even for the people high up the food chain, the data gathering, the writing, the, you know, submitting to journals, the rejections, you know, it can be very tedious. Like 99% of research is absolutely tedious. Uh, there's no way around that. But, you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> and sometimes there's a big payoff. The other thing in a nutshell is a lot of times research, you know, lives can result in very little payoff, like, you know, null hypotheses or s small effects or um, your research study is is a small part of a much larger system of research. And so no one really cares about your findings that you worked on for three years. Um, also, some jobs are, are um, the only sort of work you can get is if you sell out. 
like doing research for marketers and you know people who use psychology for capitalism, this kind of thing, or for politics. And so um, sometimes those are the only jobs that you can even get. Um, but having said that, plenty of people, including I know some of you listeners, you work primarily in research. Um, and I know you're nodding your head, but you're also hoping that I don't make it seem like it's a terrible um, industry. It's not. Um, but you have to be very gung-ho about it. You got to... You got to be really gung ho. You got to be really motivated. Uh, you have to be like, yeah, I am. I am desperate to study X, Y, and Z, and I will not take no for an answer. And I don't care if I don't get paid for it for years. And and if I do get paid, I don't mind if I get paid very little. And I don't care if no one cares about this. I care about that. You know, the best research career people tend to be those kinds of people. So. Um, or they just really love working with a particular research team. You know, they, they land themselves in a, a research team on memory or something. And on, although their work is kind of tedious, they like what their overall their team is doing. Um, so there's that. All right. So uh, I hope that answers your question. I've talked about this before. People out there who are in the profession, feel free to, you know, comment and fill in any gaps that I didn't say um, as long as you're nice to me, <laughs> uh, but always think, you know, whether you're, you know, be, going to become a clinician or you're a client looking for a therapist is the principles are figure out your goals first, then you have to do your research and do not focus on masters or doctoral or social work or marriage and family therapy or don't focus on that. Focus on your goal because a lot of the, th the professions can meet your goal. For example, if you are a couple looking for help and you have conflict and you're thinking about divorce and you want someone to help you with your relationship, all of the professions might be able to help you with that. Social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, psychologists, psychiatric nurses, psychiatrists, all of them might be able to help you with that. Marriage and family therapists are guaranteed to have had some education in couples counseling, but that doesn't mean that they are good couples counselors. <laughs> um, so it's up to you, which is unfortunate, to um, take some time and actually f try out a few therapists and figure out if they're any good. I know that sucks, but that's the way it is. You know, if you want help, which again is a is a wonderful thing. You find a good therapist, man, it is the best. So it might mean you have to, you know, do some trial and error. If you want to uh, get, uh, if if you have trauma and you want proper trauma therapy, um, EMDR or CPT or prolonged exposure, all of the professions might be able to help you with that. But, and none of the professions are specialized in that. <laughs> so um, if you are a student who wants to become a clinician and you want to focus on trauma, all of the professions can focus on trauma. You want to work with eating disorders, all of the professions you can work in eating disorders. Um, you know, you want to work with with groups of older people at, you know, with terminal illness, all of the professions can do that. It's, it's a problem because if all of them can do that, then why are there different professions? 
You know, like why do we have all these different professions when they can all do all the things? You know, say you want to do case management as a, at a hospital. All of the professions, you know, medical people aren't going to be so jazzed or even necessarily qualified, but all the non-medical degrees could, abs- if you put your mind to it, could absolutely do case management at a hospital. Social workers are more geared toward that, but, you know, depending on the position, depending on the hospital, depending on the sort of case management, um, all the jobs, you know, I was asked to do case management all the time. I chose not to because I didn't like the work. But if I chose to back in the day, um, my entire career could have been around case management, team leading, um, you know, wraparound, uh, setting up people with services. That I that could have been my whole career if I if I if I chose it to be. I was offered all sorts of work like that as a marriage and family therapist. So, so it's confusing. <laughs> now, having said that, there are very specific things like you want to work in you're in Minnesota and you want to work at the VA. Well, they the VA since it's a federal thing has very specific requirements, and so. You want to go to the VA and say, okay, what kind of jobs are there and who's qualified to do the work there? The other thing is, is by the time you graduate, it could change. You know, like I know the military is opening up to marriage and family therapy. Um, they're opening up to music therapy. That was another, uh, you know, thing I didn't mention was was music therapy. All the therapists can all do music therapy. <laughs> oh, Sometimes music therapists, they don't even have a clinical degree. They get a degree in music therapy, uh, but they actually can't diagnose and treat. But they can provide what's called music therapy, um, which isn't a clinical service. So that's another kind of confusing thing. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's me talking about all that sort of stuff. And I can't believe I've been talking for over an hour straight without any breaks. That is the end of that episode in which I just talked about that one thing. And let me know what you think. Comment below or contact me by going to our website and filling out the Contact Us page. And please take care of yourself and advocate for your own client needs and your own career needs because you deserve it. You really, really do.